Book One, Chapter Two of the Life of John Ruskin by W. G. Collingwood. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Life of John Ruskin by W. G. Collingwood. Book One, The Boy Poet, eighteen nineteen to eighteen forty two. Chapter Two, The Father of the Man, eighteen nineteen to eighteen twenty five. Recording by Cheyenne Arrowsmith. Into this family, John Ruskin was born on February the eighth, eighteen nineteen, at half past seven in the morning. He was baptized on the twentieth by the Reverend Mister Boyd. The first account of him in writing is in a letter from his mother when he was six weeks old. She chronicles, not without a touch of superstition, the breaking of a looking glass, and continues. John grows finely. He is just now on my knee, sleeping and looking so sweetly. I hope I shall not get proud of him. He was a fine, healthy baby, and at four months was beginning to give more decided proofs that he knows what he wants and will have it if crying and a passion will get it. At a year, his mother resolves that this will be cured by a good whipping when he can understand what it is, and we know that she carried out her Spartan resolve. This and the story in Arachne, how she let him touch the tea kettle, and reminiscences in Praetorita of playthings locked up, and a long little boy staring at the water cart and a pattern on the carpet, all these give a gloomy impression of his mother, against which we must set the proofs of affection and kindliness shown in her letters. In these, we can see her anxiously nursing him through childish ailments, taking him out for his daily walk to Dupas Hill with a captain's biscuit in her muff, for fear he should be hungry by the way. We hear her teaching him his first lessons with astonishment at his wonderful memory and glorying with Nurse Anne over his behaviour in church. And all these things she retells in gossiping letters to her husband while Mr. Richard Gray gives two-year-old John his first lesson on the flute, both sitting on the drawing-room floor, very deeply engaged. I am sure, she says, there is no other love, no other feeling, like a mother's towards her first boy when she loves his father. And her pride in his looks, and precocity and docility. I never met with a child of his age so sensible to praise or blame, found a justification in his passionate devotion to the man who was so dear to them both. Though he was born in a thick of London, he was not city-bred. His first three summers were spent in lodgings in Hampstead or Dulwich, then the country. So early as his fourth summer he was taken to Scotland by sea to stay with his aunt, Jessie, Mrs. Richardson of Perth. There he found cousins to play with, especially one little Jessie, of nearly his own age. 
he found the river with deep swirling pools that impressed him more than the sea and he found the mountains coming home in the autumn he set for his full-length portrait to james northcote r a and being asked what he would choose for background he replied blue hills northcote had painted mr and mrs ruskin and as they were fond of artistic company remained their friend a certain friendship too between the old academician then in his seventy-seventh year the acknowledged cynic and satirist and a little wise boy who asked shrewd questions and could sit still to be painted who moreover had a face worth painting not unlike the model from whom northcote's master the great sir joshua had painted his famous cherubs the painter asked him to come again and sit as the hero of a fancy picture bought at the academy by the flattered parents there is a grove a flock of toy sheep drapery in the ground style a mahogany settier taking a thorn out of the little pink foot of a conventional nudity poor survivals of the titianisque but the head is an obvious portrait and a happy one far more like the real boy so tradition says than the generalized chubbiness of the commission the picture in the next year eighteen twenty three they quitted the town for a suburban home the spot they chose was in rural dulwich on herne hill a long offshoot of the surrey downs low and yet commanding green fields and scattered houses in the foreground with rich undulating country to the south and looking across london toward windsor and harrow it is all built up now but their house later number twenty eight must have been as secluded as any in a country village there were ample gardens front and rear well stocked with fruit and flowers quite an eden for the little boy and all the more that the fruit of it was forbidden it was here that all his years of youth were spent here under his parents roof he wrote his earlier works as far as volume one of modern painters to the adjoining house as his own separate home he returned for a period of his middle life and in the old home handed over to his adopted daughter he still used to find his own rooms ready when he cared to visit london so he was brought up almost as a country boy though near enough to town to get the benefit of it and far enough from the more exciting scenes of landscape nature to find them ever fresh when summer after summer he revisited the river scenery of the west or the mountains of the north for by a neat arrangement and one fortunate for his education the summer tours were continued yearly mr john james ruskin still travelled for the business then greatly extending strange he writes on one occasion that watson his right-hand man went his journey without getting one order and every one gives me an order directly in return for these services to the firm mr tilford the capitalist partner took the vacant chair at the office and even lent his carriage for the journeys 
there was room for two so mrs ruskin accompanied her husband whose indifferent health gave her and his friends constant anxiety during long separations and the boy could easily be packed in sitting on his little portmanteau and playing horses with his father's knees the nurse riding on the dicky behind they started usually after the great family anniversary the father's birthday on may the tenth and journeyed by easy stage through the south of england working up the west to the north and then home by the east central route zigzagging from one provincial town to another calling at the great country seats to leave no customer or possible customer unvisited and in the intervals of business seeing all the sights of the places they passed through colleges and churches galleries and parks ruins castles caves lakes and mountains and seeing them all not listlessly but with keen interest noting everything inquiry for local information looking up books for reference setting down the results as if they had been meaning to write a guide-book and gazetteer of great britain they i say did all this for as soon as the boy could write he was only imitating his father in keeping his little journey of the tours so that all he learned stayed by him and the habit of descriptive writing was formed in eighteen twenty three they seem to have travelled only through the south and southwest in eighteen twenty four they pushed the north to the lakes stayed a while at keswick and while the father went about his business the child was rambling with his nurse on frere's craig among the steep rocks and gnarled roots which suggested even at that age the feelings expressed in one of the notable passages in modern painters thence they went on to scotland and revisited their relatives at perth in eighteen twenty five they took a more extended tour and spent a few weeks in paris partly for the festivities at the coronation of charles the tenth partly for business conference with mr domek who had just been appointed wine merchant to the king of spain thence they went to brussels and the field of waterloo of greater interest than the sights of paris to six-year-old john who often during his boyhood celebrated the battle and heroes of the battle in verse before he was quite three he used to climb into a chair and preach there is nothing so uncommon in that of robert browning his neighbour and seven-year-older contemporary the same tale is told but while the incident that marks the baby browning is the aside a popple of a whimpering sister pew opener remove that child the baby ruskin is seeing in his sermon people be dood if you are dood dod will love you if you are not dood dod will not love you people be dood at the age of four he had begun to read and write refusing to be taught in the orthodox way this is so accurately characteristic by syllabic spelling and copy-book pothooks he preferred to find a method out for himself 
and he found out how to read whole words at a time by the look of them, and to write in vertical characters like bookprint, just as the latest improved theories of education suggest. His first letter may be quoted as illustrating his own account of his childhood, and as proving how entirely Scotch was the atmosphere in which he was brought up. The postmark gives the date March the fifteenth, eighteen twenty-three. Mrs. Ruskin premises that John was scribbling on a paper from which he proceeded to read what she writes down. I omit certain details about the whip. My dear Papa, I love you. I have got new things. Waterloo Bridge. Aunt Bridget brought me it. John and Aunt helped to put it up, but the pillars they did not put right, upside down. Instead of a book, bring me a whip, coloured red and a black. Tomorrow is Sabbath. Tuesday I go to Croydon. I am going to take my boats and my ship to Croydon. I'll sell them on the pond near the burn which the bridge is over. I'll be very glad to see my cousins. I was very happy when I saw Aunt come from Croydon. I love Mrs. Gray and I love Mr. Gray. I would like you to come home, and my kiss and my love. First autograph in straggling capitals. John Ruskin. When once he could read, thenceforward his mother gave him regular morning lessons in Bible reading and in reciting the Scotch paraphrases of the Psalms and other verse, which for his good memory was an easy task. He made rhymes before he could write them, of course. At five he was a bookworm, and the books he read fixed him in certain grooves of thought. Or rather, say they were chosen as favourites from an especial interest in their subjects, an interest which arose from his character of mind, and displayed it. But with all this precocity, he was no milksop or weakling. He was a bright, active lad, full of fun and pranks, not without companions, though solitary when at home. And kept precisely in a hope of guarding him from every danger. He was so little afraid of animals, a great test of a child's nerves, that about this time he must needs meddle with their fierce Newfoundland dog, Lion, which bit him in the mouth and spoiled his looks. Another time he showed some address in extricating himself from the water butt, a common child trap. He did not fear ghosts or thunder. Instead of that, his early developed landscape feeling showed itself in dread of foxglove dales and the dark pools of water, in coiling roots of trees, things that to the average English fancy have no significance whatever. At seven, he began to imitate the books he was reading, to write books himself. He had found out how to print. As children do, and it was his ambition to make real books with title pages and illustrations, not only books, indeed, but sets of volumes, a complete library of his own books. But in a letter of March the fourth, eighteen twenty-nine, his mother says to his father, "If you think of writing, John, 
would you impress on him the propriety of not beginning too eagerly and becoming careless towards the end of his works as he calls them i think in a letter from you it would have great weight he is never idle and he is even uncommonly persevering for a child of his age but he often spoils a good beginning by not taking the trouble to think and concluding in a hurry the first of these sets was imitated in style from miss edgeworth he called it harry and lucy concluded or early lessons didactic he was from the beginning it was to be in four volumes uniform in red leather with proper title frontispiece and copper plates printed and composed by a little boy and also drawn it was begun in eighteen twenty six and continued at interval until eighteen twenty nine it was all done laboriously in imitation of print and to complete the illusion contained a page of errata this great work was of course never completed though he laboured through three volumes but when he tired of it he would turn his book upside down and begin at the other end with other matters so that the red books contain all sorts of notes on his minerals and travels reports of sermons and miscellaneous information besides their professed contents in this respect also being very like his later works there you have our author ready-made with his ever-fresh interest in everything and all attempting eagerness out of which the first thing that crystallizes into any definite shape is the verse writing end of book one chapter two recording by cheyenne arrowsmith